Go ahead and turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be there in just a little bit. But uh, as you know, today we're going to start doing some things here that... Uh, Jimmy, would you get, get me some water? I got a sore throat. I've been fighting a cold all week. I got a feeling I'm going to need that. And what we're going to do is, as you know, we have talked about this day for a while, uh, where we're going to start coming through the Bible, and we're going to lay down some preliminary things that you need to really understand uh, as we get into the Bible, things that you're going to use throughout the whole rest of your life, really, when it comes to the Word of God. And uh, I figure that uh, doing this the way we're doing it probably take us about two years. I know that uh, there'll be times when we'll take a break from it because another issue comes up or something that God just says, you know, preach on this or whatever. So i giving ourselves that latitude. I know there's only 62 books in the Bible and there's 52 weeks in a year. I can figure that out. But I figure giving us a little latitude there, that's, that's about what it'll take us to do. So, uh, but here's the exciting thing that I want to talk to you about that I think is a, I think is a good deal. And that is, and that is this. Um, this is something that we can do as together as a church. Now, here's how I've envisioned this. And I know that, you know, no plan works perfectly, but here's how I envision it. Uh, first thing is our goal. I want to get everybody in our church up to speed on when it comes to the Bible. Now, I'm not going to be able to teach you, obviously, everything about the Bible. That's not my goal. But I do want to be able to give you the ability to understand what you're reading in the Bible, where it's at, and why it's there. And when you start coming through the Bible, to understand by each book of the Bible what you're supposed to be looking for and what it's all about. And then in time, we can figure the rest of it out and you can put the rest of it together as we go through our, our regular times. Now, uh, as I said, and, and very frankly, if you, if you stay with this thing for the most part, it'll save you. If your goal is to really understand and learn the Bible, this is going to save you 5, 10, 15 years of just doggedly going after it. And that's the way God intended it to be. God intended you to learn at the expense of somebody else. Because that's how you get to heaven. You get there by the expense of somebody else. Everything in Christianity is done at the expense of somebody else. That's what it's all about. So I figure that if you'll get your, go through your notes every week, or get the CD, however you prefer to do it, or have your own notes, some of you are great note takers, and every week you go through that book of the Bible, and you make that your primary study where you really lay it out so you can understand it, and then come back uh, uh, the next week and we're ready to go to the next book, that together as a church we can walk right through this thing. Now, I know that for some of you younger Christians, <coughs> I understand that it's going to, there are going to be times when you have questions that you don't understand is something that I said. Okay, then here's what we do with that. This is why we have Thursday night Bible study. Thursday night Bible study is set up so that we can take the big pieces that we don't understand and you can talk about them, we can break them down, and we can lay it out. Now, I'm going to go one step farther. If we come through this, and say in a month's time, you, uh, two or three you say to me, hey, Bob, uh, you know what, I'd really like to uh, you know, uh, uh, be able to ask, i got a couple of things here, and I don't, you know, I don't want to maybe do it on Thursday night Bible study, or we don't get to it on Thursday night, whatever. Then we'll set up a time once a month at my house where three or four of you, five or six of you, eight or nine, or whoever it takes can come over, with a specific purpose of breaking down those pieces to helping you understand uh, what we've got. Now, this is where you need to be honest. This is where, I'm just going to tell you up front, if you're not honest in your approach to the Word of God, 
it ain't going to work for you. If you sit back there and you say, well, I don't understand this, but I don't want to ask Bob because I think it's stupid. I, I got something I don't understand, but I don't want to ask it because I'm embarrassed, or this or that, because I think people will laugh at me, or this or that, I think I'm dumb. No, you've got to get past that. There's two aspects that have to be in this. One of it, and it's, it's an honesty on both our parts. You have to be honest to ask me where you're at and what you don't understand, and I have to have an accountability back to you to give you whatever you need uh, to help you understand it. And if we can get those two things working for us, we've got a lot of things going for us. We've got the men doing their deal. We've got uh, if the ladies decide to get something going, and it doesn't have to be about this. It can be about anything. But we've got Thursday night to use it when we get ideas. But all I'm saying is you have, to, you have to take this study as a challenge in your own life. And for some of you, you've never really, maybe really had a good challenge when it comes to the Word of God. And it might be hard for you to get it done every week. And that's good. It may, cost, it may force you to reprioritize some things where, you know, uh, you spend a little more time in your Bible than, than you have been. And that's good. My goal, simply stated, is to help you get to the place where God wants you to be because of the job that God wants you to do. And you're going to see that today when we lay this thing out because there's some things that you have to see and you have to understand before we ever open the book of Genesis. And next week, we will start the book of Genesis and I'll show you and I know you, maybe you're thinking, you know, well, I don't know how, you know, I don't want this to be just a, uh, a, a cardboard lesson like I'm going to a class. Oh, it won't be. Believe me. Believe me. I will bring this thing back around and give you the spiritual application for everything that that book means. And when you leave out of here, you'll have about 90 things that are just lit your burners. So uh, that's what the Bible does for you. So let's have a word of prayer. And we'll get started. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We love you. We ask you, Father, to help us today in all that we do, to give you the honor and glory as we approach this grand book, Father, to try to learn it and understand it. And, Lord, we'll just give you all the honor and praise and thank you in Jesus' name. For the sake we ask it, amen. I'm going to take my coat off. I'm sorry, guys. If you think a preacher has to wear a coat for God to be pleased, then I'm sorry, but that's just not the way it is this morning because I'm not pleased. I'm hot. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Now, this is a great verse, and you all know it. It says, Study to show thyself the proven that God a work, and not, needeth not to be ashamed, judgment seat of Christ, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, this verse is what I'm going to help you do. I'm going to help you do a couple of things here. First of all, I'm going to, it says, uh, I'll, uh, Study to show thyself the proven. I'm going to show you how to study. I'm going to give you the biblical format of how you study the Bible by giving you the outline of every book the theme of every book, the structure of every book. You're going to have everything book by book that you need to know how to study. And then the second thing I'm going to show you is how to do the work in study. There's some things you're going to have to do because the Bible says it's going to take a workman. It's going to take, you, it's going to take your work. If you think it's all going to be me just standing up here and giving you everything and you just going out and doing nothing with it, you're wrong. So there's a good accountability factor in all of this. And it's going to help you get to the point where you, you understand not only how to study, but you understand how to do the work to study. And then the third thing, and probably the most important thing, is show you how to rightly divide what you've got. And that's probably the greatest asset that you'll ever get into the Bible, is being able to understand uh, where this goes, where that goes, and how it all puts together. And that's what I'm going to do for it. That's what we're going to try to accomplish as we put this thing together. And what I want to do is I want to lay out today some of the concepts that you have to have. The absolute concept that you have got to get down in your brain. I'm not saying you've got to understand it all today. I'm not saying that. 
because you won't understand it all today. And when you walk out of here today, you're going to say, boy, that, you know, I wished I could understand all that. I just can't get to that. But that's okay. My goal this morning is not to get you to thoroughly understand the things I'm going to give you. My goal today is to help you understand what these things are and you realize they are there. You'll learn them in time as we come through because there'll never be a time that we're not using them. So I'm going to give you a couple of tools in your toolbox today that's going to be absolutely crucial that you are going to literally use the rest of your life. Now, some of you already know them. Some of you don't. Some of you halfway know them. Some of you, you know, you've heard us talk about them, but it's okay. And what we're going to do is basically define them today. I'm not going to show you the ins and the outs, but I'm going to show you some things that you have got to understand that every time, every time you, I was going to say every time you open your Bible. I'm not even going to say that. Every time you look at your Bible. Every time you just look at it. These things come into your brain. I mean, I was going to say, you know, every time you open your Bible to study it, but that, no, 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 I don't want you to do that. I want you to do it every time you look at it. I mean, I'm telling you, if you walk through the living room and it's on a table and you look, see it over there, you think about these things. Every time you see it, you think these things. They've got to become so automatic in your life that, that they just, they're just there. They're just there. And you have to get these things down as far as knowing them, how they defined in the Bible, and then we'll work on them from there. All right? The first two things that I want to talk about is, for some, is old hat, but uh, everybody's got to get up to speed. That's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are the two themes of the Bible. Really, it's the theme of the Bible is, is the kingdom, and both kingdoms are connected, though both kingdoms are different. And, I, and you've got to know that. You've got to understand that there is a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Now, every preacher in this city, every Bible college in the world today, except maybe three or four, are going to teach you that they're the same. And they're going to put the emphasis on the fact that they're the same because the preacher don't know any different. And he's been taught that. And I'm just telling you right now, you will never figure the Bible out. I'm telling you. You will never get the Bible to work for you until you see it in its lowest bottom common denominator. The bottom line where you cannot divide it down anymore. The lowest common denominator, the bare concept of the Bible is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And you have got to understand those things. Now, I'm just going to briefly explain them. First of all, let's talk about the kingdom of heaven. Anytime you find the phrase kingdom of heaven, it's going to always be in reference to the Old Testament of the nation of Israel. And you may find it, uh, you may find it, uh, uh, you know, always connected with the nation of Israel. The kingdom of heaven is always going to be <coughs> Israel's literal kingdom. That's what we're fighting in the Middle East about right now. That's why this whole issue with the, we talked about last week, uh, you know, about the war in Iraq and the trouble in the Middle East, it all comes down to, the bottom line, the kingdom of heaven. Back in the book of Genesis, God said to Abraham, there's a piece of land I'm going to give you, and that piece of land is going to stretch from uh, Egypt to the Ur of Chaldees, that's where Babylon is, and then it's going to run northward <coughs> about 2,500 miles up to Mount Ararat up in Turkey. And that land <coughs> is going to be given to you and your people, and that that land is connected with a kingdom that God gives Israel whose capital is in Jerusalem. It is a literal, visible piece of ground in the Middle East that God has staked out and said, this is for my people Israel. 
It's going to play, and it's always played an important part in the Old Testament. It plays an important part in prophecy today and in eternity, in the millennium. It's going to be uh, the whole concept of that kingdom, that literal, visible kingdom, is going to be around a literal, visible nation, the nation of Israel. So when you find the kingdom of, kingdom of heaven in the Bible, you're not talking about anything that pertains to you and to me directly. You're finding something that's talking about the nation of Israel and the literal promises God has given a literal nation on a literal piece of ground in a literal planet, planet Earth, with its capital, Jerusalem. All right? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the spiritual kingdom. Now, that's the kingdom that you and I are connected with. And very frankly, <clears throat> what happened is this. God brought the kingdom of heaven down to the Jews all through the Old Testament in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it got rejected. When it got rejected, then God called to make a, you know, I'm kind of just glossing over a lot of things, but just giving you the gist of it. When they rejected that kingdom, God brought in a spiritual kingdom. God started what we commonly call today the church. And when God brought the church in, He gave them a spiritual kingdom that you and I, when we got saved, when you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, you got born again, the Bible says. And when you got born again, you got born into that spiritual kingdom. And the Bible says in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 14 and Luke chapter 17, uh, it talks about the kingdom of God is within you. It's a spiritual kingdom. It isn't literal. So you have two kingdoms that wherever you go in the Bible, you've got to have in the back of your mind about those two kingdoms. Now, I left out a lot of stuff today about those kingdoms. I could take the next 48 hours and never stop and, and, and still have material left over. That's not my goal today. My goal today is to get you to understand the basic definitions. I'll bring you through, or the boys will bring you through, or at some point in our time together, one-on-one -on -one or whatever, our little cluster groups, we will work that out as it comes in time, and you'll, and you'll see it understand. That's not my goal today. My goal is just to give you a basic definition of these. So always remember, the kingdom of heaven deals with the nation of Israel in an Old Testament scenario. The kingdom of God deals with the New Testament in the church scenario. And you're going to find those two kingdoms weaving their way all the way through the Bible. You find them from Genesis to Revelation, where they're both here, then one's here and the other one's not, and then they're, the other one's here, and they're both here again, and then the other one leaves, and the other one's here, and then they're both back again. You don't have to worry about that today. We'll deal with that in time. I just want you to understand the basic concept. And all the Bible is built around those two kingdoms. And all the time uh, you come through the Bible, you just need to recognize where you're at with those kingdoms. And uh, so consequently, there's two things you're going to be asking yourself when you start to come through the Bible. And when I come through the Bible, these two things I ask myself over and over and over and over again. And those two things are the context. The context in its basic form will be which kingdom. And then I ask myself, who's God writing that to? Because not all the Bible is written to you. All the Bible is written for you. But not all the Bible is written to you. In fact, in the Bible, you're going to find there's three different groups of people that's addressed. And you find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. He lays out all three groups for you. The first group is, of course, the nation of Israel. There's things that God writes specifically to them that I can read and understand the whole concept of God, but it wasn't written for me to do. And then there's times that God addresses the church. That's me. 
Now, when I find places where God addresses the church, it all applies to me. And then there's times in the Bible where God addresses the Gentile world. And when He addresses the Gentile world, He's not talking to Israel, He's not talking to me directly. Now, I can learn from it by what God is doing it, because in most of those cases, it's dealing with prophecy and what God is going to do when He comes back. But it's specifically written to the Gentile nations that are on this earth. So you want to keep that in mind. And uh, now, this next thing I want to talk about for just a minute, it, within this kingdom, with this kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, you're going to find that God has three separate plans. And oh, you have got to get this. God has three plans in the Bible. Maybe you've asked yourself, wonder what God has did all this for. Wonder why God really wrote the Bible. And many people, you know, they're very limited in that concept. They think God wrote the Bible because He wanted to get man saved. Well, that's true. They think, well, God wrote the Bible because He wanted to reveal Himself to man. And that's true, too. But there's more behind the Bible than just that. And you have got to see the big picture. You have got to see the overall concept of what God is doing when it comes to uh, the Word of God. And there's three distinct plans that God has. Yet, they're separate but they're connected. It's a lot like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three different offices, but they're all connected. Those three plans are three distinct plans, but they're all connected. And every one of them involves you in some way or form that you need to understand how to put the Bible together. And that's why it's so important. And when you understand that, then you begin to see uh, some things the way it really is. You know, I grew up, and my mother, and I'm talking about when I was five, six, seven, eight years old, my mother was a science fiction uh, freak. She absolutely was obsessed with every new science fiction movie that came out. Now, back in those days, and this was in 55, 56, 57, that's when you had the really good classics. I mean, boy, James Arness in The Thing. Woo! I still watch it today. I think it's, a, I mean, I'll tell you what, that's the only movie I'll close my Bible for and watch. The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Them. The big ants? No, not the one that comes to see you at Christmas. The, the, the big ants. The, the, you know. It. From beneath the sea. Oh, terrible great stuff. I'll never forget one time we went to see The House on the Haunted Hill, the original. I was only that big. And my mom took me there, and I'll tell you what, I never got so scared. How many ever saw that movie? The original. How, uh, the House on the Haunted Hill? Oh, man. I mean, they made a new one. New one can't touch it, boy. I'll tell you what. I was sitting there, you know, and I, I, I was sitting there watching that thing, and the, my, the scariest part to me, and I'm just a little guy. And, I, the, you know, the scariest part to me is when they're down in that dungeon. And remember that old, that, the, the, the butler and the old lady who had the silver hair, and she, and, and, and she, that girl's down there looking around, and all of a sudden that, that she, I don't think she was even real. I think they had her on roller because she was so terribly scary. And, and she just, it was just like she, ooh, come into that picture. And the whole, and I was such a kid, I, I hid my, and I grabbed my eyes like this, and I just, oh, I was so scared. And then afterwards, we were home, and my mother says, then I really get scared. My mother says, what is wrong with your eyes? And I said, I don't know. She says, man, she says, that's the first sign of leukemia. I'm saying, what's, what's leukemia, you know? And, and I said, well, the only thing I know is when that woman came out of there, I grabbed my eyes and I, and I squeezed them so hard. And, and she said, well, that's what it is. You broke all the blood vessels in your eyes. And down here, I was scared. Now, you know what? Be a little easy on me. That's why I am the way I am today. <laughs> I had a tough life. 
you try to go to bed at night and, you know, after you say your prayers, you know, and you sleep with big ants are coming after you, you know, and I mean, uh, and a big tarantula spider, you know, and the, and the thing that from brain from planet Eris, you know, and all that stuff. But, I, but that was my mom. But I'll tell you, the best one we ever went to see was the, when the creature from the... And then they made, back then they made another one, the creature, the revenge of the creature, you know, that's when they first... But the creature from the Black Lagoon. You know why it was so good? Because it was the first time in the history of movies that it was in 3D. Oh, yeah. You got to wear these really neat glasses. I still got mine. I wear them sometime when I'm driving just to see things a little bit better. <laughs> and I'll never forget. <laughs> and you looked at the movie and, it, boy, it just, it just was there. But when you put those glasses on, I mean, the, the birds would fly right out of the screen, man. And I was, thought it was in my hair. And when the creature come around the corner, you know, and put his hand out, it was like it was right in my face. I didn't pull my eyes on that. I wet my pants, if you just want me to tell you the truth. But my mother was quite upset about that, too. But anyway, that was scary, man. Why? Because it was right there in my face. And I, when we went down to... Uh, took a vacation with the family, we went to, uh, not Disney World, we went to the MG8, uh, Universal Studios. And they have a place in there where they have the, the uh, video and you put the glasses on and it's about the uh, uh, Terminator. And I'll tell you what, that ain't even scared me. No, I didn't wet my pants that time. <laughs> I'm a big boy now. <laughs> But anyway, I'll tell you what, I, and I thought to myself, whoa, and when those things come out of me, man, I, I was, I just, oh, it was like, it was, oh, years later, I thought to myself, you know what, when you really learn these basic things about the Bible that I'm giving you today, that's what it does with the Bible for you. Things will just jump out and grab you, and you'll see things you never saw before. You know why? Because you're looking at it differently. And the difference is, when you went to a movie and just sat there, it was one-dimensional. But when you put the glasses on, it made everything three-dimensional. Now, when you come to the Bible, you get fourth-dimensional. See, man has three dimensions, which gives you... All, but God is the fourth dimension, which makes everything in that book stand out. That when you read it, right now you read the book, and you just read it, and you... You know, you just, you know, you sit down there and you say, well, I didn't get much out of that. What? You get what I'm giving you and you'll start to read it and it'll be all like something say, hey, I'm down here. Don't miss this. Don't pull that. And everybody will be jumping out and showing you what that Bible is all about. And that is really what the Bible does when you get the concepts that help you view it the way that God wants you to see it. Like the old 3D movies. And I'm telling you, you're going to find out that when you when you start looking at this Bible, you've got to understand God has three plans. God has three plans. And you have got to see those three plans wrapped around those two kingdoms. And if you don't get this basic concept, I'm not saying you've got to understand it all today. I'm saying you've got to go out of here with your 3D glasses. That's why we come on Thursday night, you know, and I know this happens, and you think that's because I'm, I'm smart or I know a lot about the Bible, and you come through there on Thursday night and you, somebody will ask a question. I'll give you an example. Who in the world would have thought we got out when we got out of Solomon's temple back there Thursday night? Now, I'm telling you right now, we didn't get it because Bob's a great Bible scholar. I'm not a scholar. I'm just a student. I'm always learning. But we didn't get it because I have superior intelligence. We didn't get it because I'm that great a Christian. I mean, it ain't like that God's got a, I mean, I got a corner on the Holy Spirit of God, you know, and in God, you know, nobody else does. It wasn't that at all. It was nothing more that over my life, I, 
adapted myself and dishonored myself to look through the CD, the, the, the 3D glasses to show you the fourth dimension of that Bible that makes it come alive. I didn't pick it up because I'm smart. In fact, I picked it up because I'm stupid. I picked it up because I was just stupid enough to believe that God knew what He was doing when He wrote a book. And that I didn't need anything else but the book. And so with that in mind, I'm telling you, when you learn that, and you learn that basic concept that I'm talking about today, in time, the Bible will come alive. You've got to know what to look for. And most churches with most pastors, they, you, they give you a Bible. Many times they give you the wrong Bible. Or they even give you the right Bible. They don't give you any help in it. You're left to figure it on their own. All they want from you is as much money as they can get and you to do everything for them. But they don't want to do one thing for you. And I'm telling you, you have to have help just like I had to have help. But you get to the point where you get the right components. Get out of your way. You're going to do something for God. Now, I said all that to say this. Bible has three plans. The three, number three in the Bible is an incredible number. Now, we've never went through this study on numerology yet, but in the Bible, certain numbers mean certain things. Now, I know you can prove anything with numbers. And my rule of, uh, of thumb on, on numbers in the Bible is don't go anywhere that the Bible doesn't clearly lay it out. Well, you can make it mean anything if you want to, but there are certain numbers in the Bible that you just can't argue with. And one of them is the number three. Because number three is the order of the structure of things in the universe. Romans chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, God says the invisible things of Him, are, the visible things of Him, are clearly seen and understood by the things that God made, even His eternal power and Godhead. And what He says there is this. He says the things that are invisible that you can't see and understand, you understand and see by the things that God made. Well, God made everything. Colossians chapter 1, before Him is everything and there's nothing before Him. God made everything. So with that in mind, here was creation morning. Somewhere before Genesis chapter 1. The Trinity walked out and said, we're going to make a great universe, we're going to make a great this, we're going to make a great that. And God said, okay, uh, we need to have a pattern. What's the pattern we're going to have? And, and somebody said, well, it needs to be a holy pattern because you're a holy God. Well, it needs to be a righteous pattern because you're a righteous God. Well, I know, just make it after your own self as a pattern. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God said, that's a good idea. Now, this conversation didn't happen this way. You, you know that, don't you? I'm just trying to fill you in on things so you understand it. So God made everything after a pattern of threes. Everything. You want to remember that, especially when it comes to the Bible. The Trinity is a God, Son, Holy Spirit. When it comes to your Bible, three applications. Doctrinally, inspirationally, and historically. If you're a Christian, you have a body, soul, and a spirit. Three. You can't get away from it. You can't get away. I told you before, the Bible is wrote, written to a Jew, a Gentile, or the church. You say, we're going to study the Old Testament. That's the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. Three. We're going to study the New Testament. That's the gospel, the Acts, and the epistles. Three. I mean, you can't get away from it. You go into the world, three kingdoms. Animal, vegetable, and mineral. Music. She did a great job on that thing. You know what she did? She just had three things she was working with. Harmony, rhythm, and melody. I mean, it's the air, the land, and the sea. The army, the navy, and the marine corps. Anywhere you go, it breaks down into three. That's the whole thing. I told you before, the key to the Christian life is faith, fact, and feeling. Three. Three things. A family is a, is a father, a mother, and a child. Nothing in this world will be complete without the third part. Now, a, a 
You see this board right here? See that line? Now, it looks like a line to you, but that line's got three parts to it. It's got a length, it's got a width, and if you can get a microscope on it, it's got a depth. You know the strange thing about that line? If I, took any, if I took any one of those three things away, you couldn't have the line. You've got to have all three parts. Isn't that simple? But it's profound. You can't take any one part away from that and still have the line. And you can't take any one part of the Bible away and still have the Bible. And you can't take any one of God's three plans out and still have the Bible. You've got to understand that three is the order and the system of things and how it works. Time. You know what time is? Past, present, and future. You know the biggest problem God's people have? They don't know where they've come from. They have no understanding of history. That's why they get caught up in the Bible. That's why they get caught up in cults. The reason why you got Jehovah Witnesses today and, and, and Mormons and every other cult in the world out there is because God's people don't know where they came from. They don't know where it started. They don't know where it ends. They don't, they don't, they don't know. They don't know where they come from. And I'll tell you something else. You don't know where you come from. Don't tell me you know where you're going. You can't know where you you got to have all three parts. You say, well, I know I'm going to heaven. I'm not talking about that. What's out there? Did God just throw up heaven and say, well, I don't know what I'm going to do now. Let's just go do something else. No, God has a plan. God has a plan. And just like you can't take one of those marks off that line and still have the line, you've got to have that whole concept of past, present, and future. And God's people don't know where they come from. They certainly don't know where they're going. And I'll just be kind to you this morning. Don't get mad at me. But if you don't know where you come from and you don't know where you're going, please don't insult my intelligence try to get me to believe you know where you're at. That's the problem with God's people today. So we get caught up in everything else and we think that's truth. When the basic truth is so basic, where God's been, where God's at, and where God's going. We got those two kingdoms. Those two kingdoms are built around those three plans. Now you got an Old Testament and a New Testament. Well, then your Bible's incomplete if three's the number. Because you got an Old Testament, you got a New Testament. It must be the Apocrypha makes the third part. What do you think? Maybe it's Joe Smith's Book of Mormon. What do you think? No. You know what the third part is? The incarnate Word. The Lord Jesus Christ, John chapter 1. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's where it's at. That's where it's at. All right, now take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1. Now watch this. I'm trying to make it as easy as I can for you, but we'll break down the big pieces. I know, you know, I don't want anybody ever to feel embarrassed because you don't understand what I say. One, I talk fast. Two, even though I try to break it down into your level, and I think I, I, I do a pretty good job most of the time, there's times that I'm not. There's some of these concepts that, you know, I can't expect you to get in one hour. It took me five years to figure them out. All right, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened. You got saved who were dead in trespasses of sins. Wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now look at that. 
He tells you what you were. He told you about God's mercy and God's grace, and then he said God came down and saved you. He saved you. Do you ever wonder why God saved you? Do you ever wonder for a minute why? I mean, do you ever go that far and you're thinking, why did God save me? Well, he wants to take me to heaven. Well, that's kind of a, a limited concept about it. What's heaven? Look at the next verse. I'll read verse 6 again. And hath raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see that thing? Right now, in God's mind, you're already up in heaven, seated in heavenly places. When God looks around over there in heaven, he sees you sitting over there. What about that? Why? Why did God do all this? Here it comes, verse 7. That in the ages to come, the ages to come, well, man, I thought my Bible ended in Revelation chapter 20, too. I mean, Bob, honest to goodness, my Bible stops at Revelation chapter 22. I thought that was the end. No, 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 no. Revelation chapter 22 is just the beginning. Not the end. He says, in the ages to come, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceedingly riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. Well, you know what I get from that whole passage, when that verse 7? God's got a plan. God's got a plan that something's going to take place in the ages to come. So it doesn't all stop Revelation chapter 22. See this idea when you die, you go home to heaven, and when the Lord comes back, you go to heaven, you just get a kind of a white robe and a cloud and a harp, and you just kind of float around and pluck on it. That's not, that's not Bible. There's a lot more to that Bible that has to do with a lot more things, and that's a, that's a man's concept because man's too lazy to figure out what he's talking about. All right, God has three plans. You know, Isaiah chapter, the first thing you've got to get in your mind about this is Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. The Bible says, God's ways aren't your ways, His thoughts aren't your thoughts. First thing you've got to get down is God doesn't think like you do, so you quit thinking like you do and try to start thinking like God does. I mean, I've been blown away all my life at some of the attitude of God's people and some of the preachers I've heard in life when it comes to the Bible. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, if, if, you, if you just if you just want to have some fun sometime, the next time you get around a holy man, next time you get around a preacher, next time you get around somebody, and you have the ability to ask them a question, ask them this question: Hey, say, you know what? I know that God saved me, and I know that I got I'm going to heaven. But you know, I've been thinking about this. Once we go to heaven, what are we going to do up there for all eternity? Just ask them that question. The standard answer is. Now, you don't need to worry about those things right now because you've got to face life down here. Don't you get too far out now. God will reveal that in time. That's cop-out. That's cop-out. You know what? You know what only keeps me going in life sometimes? It's because I know what's out there. You think it keeps me going down here is what's down here? Let me tell you something, brother. You don't get that thing, get that plan down, you'll check. It's no wonder some of God's people go to church and never come back. It's no wonder God's people get plugged in and then they you know, get saved, start coming to church, and then, you know, and then you never see them again. It's no wonder there's so many of God's people out there who just simply don't really care. They go to church, but they don't do anything. They have no concept. They have no vision. They have no understanding. You know why? Because they don't know, any, they don't know the basic concepts. To them, it isn't a fourth dimension. They broke their 3D glasses, man. They can't see it. I'll tell you the first plan. God's got a plan for the universe. He's got a plan for the universe. Now, don't let that scare you. I mean, that's nothing to be scared about. It's simple. It's not complicated. God never wrote anything down that was complicated. We make it hard. We make it hard. God has a plan for the universe. Remember, the number one thing we're going to study all through here is the purpose of all that God is doing to establish those kingdoms. That's what it is. That's what it is. And that's, I'm telling you, God's got a plan. Now, I just brought this in today. We'll probably not use this after today, but I, this is a nice thing. Uh, 
Fender built this and it looks really good. I'm going to put it right about here and I'm going to put a line there. I'm going to put a line here and I'm going to put over here uh, eternity past. I'm going to put over here eternity future. Eternity past, eternity future. Now what you got here in the middle here is what we call time. This is going to run from Genesis to Revelation. Time will be 4004 BC to, well, we'll give it our today's date, 2004. And uh, this thing is time. This thing is eternity. This thing is eternity. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You think God just put time down here and God said, okay, now we got time. We're going to do man. Uh, do you ever wonder what's over here? It says Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning. What was before the beginning? It says, in the beginning was God. What was before the beginning? The beginning means time. Because if it's eternity, there's no beginning. So in the beginning means when God started to record time. So what was before that? I mean, that thing goes all the way to the window. What goes for And this thing, what's over here? Why did God have eternity here and eternity here and put time in the middle? He's got a plan. He's got three plans. And you've got to understand, just like that line right there, take one dimension off, you lose it. You lose it. All right, now, turn over to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Now, I'm not, you're not going to walk out of here today and understand everything about this plan. That's not my goal. I couldn't do that today. But I just want you to see there's a plan. I'll fill in the details as we go. You'll hear this stuff over and over. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. You know, one of, the, one of the most unique pictures I've ever seen in all my life. And I'll tell you what, when they put the Hubble telescope up there, they, they accomplished something. Because the Hubble telescope is outside the Earth's atmosphere. And, uh, you know, the biggest telescope we have down here is 200 plus inches. They measure in meters now, but uh, about 200. But there's, there's probably one that would go about 300 inches. I think the Russians have it. And, uh, you know, that's the biggest earthbound telescope we got. You can see some neat things with that. But you're always limited on planet Earth by the atmosphere. The atmosphere is the bane of any astronomer. Not just the clouds, but the, the, the turbulence. You can't see through it. I mean, you can see through it, but you can't see really good through it. In fact, they said one time that a 10-inch telescope on the moon, where there is no atmosphere, would have the equivalent of a 500-inch telescope on planet Earth. Why? Because you're not looking through any dirt. You ever notice how when the, when the sun goes down or the, or the moon comes up and it's on a horizon, how big it looks? No, I don't want to, you know, it isn't really big and then it shrinks as it gets up. I mean, sometimes that moon's coming up, man, it looks like, whoa. And then when you see it up in the middle of the sky, it's only about that big. And you're thinking, well, what happened? Does God let the air out of it as it comes up higher? Or what's the deal here? And you look at the sun. You know, you look at the sun from our perspective, it's no much bigger than the moon in our naked eye, but when that sun sets, you ever see those big red sunsets when it's going down? You know why it's so big? That's called diffraction. In other words, simple, that's a big $25 word. The simple thing is, you're looking through the dirt down on the atmosphere. You look, you look straight across at the, at the level, uh, at the horizon, you're looking through about 350 miles of dirt. The higher you get, the clearer it gets. And what happens when you're looking through that sun or the moon, through that diffraction, it makes it, it distorts the image. It makes it bigger. And when it gets up into the atmosphere and it's clear and the sky is clear and the clearest part of our sky is right over the head, what they call the zenith, you see it as it really is because there's nothing diffracting the light. And that's why astronomers have such a problem because 
it's always being, to some degree on this earth, it's always being messed up. So what they did was, when they built the Hubble telescope, they put it up in outer space. Man, they're outside of everything. They've got shots that are unbelievable. You know what they did one time? One time they put one patch of sky. And if you take, if you take, if you take a head of a pin and hold it out at arm's length, you could cover that point of the sky where they, where they took that picture. And they left their cameras on for like, I don't know, 20 hours. Because up there there's no night and day, so they don't have to worry about it. And 20-hour exposure of those photons just coming in on that CCD chip and just building up an image. And when they finally transferred that image down, they just about dropped their socks. You realize that on that one picture that they took, they had over 5,000 galaxies. In one, five, you know our galaxy we live in, it's about 700 million light years across. I mean, if you got into one end of it in a rocket ship and traveled to the other end, traveling at the speed of light with 106,000 miles a second, it'd take you 700 million years. That's just one. They had, they had, they had thought, now they've got one where they estimate that there's over 100,000 galaxies on it. And I'm telling you, they're sitting this way and this way and twisted up and down. And Shoot, I was out my, in my front yard the other night. You know, I take pictures. I was out in my front yard the other night, and I took one picture. Leo, the constellation Leo, is just peppered with galaxies. I took one, hey, in my little piddly stuff, I took one 10-minute exposure through my little CCD camera stuck in the Leo gallery, and in one 10-minute shot, I picked up 22 galaxies on it. They're, they're all over the place. Why did God fling all those galaxies out there? I mean, what's he trying to... I thought, well, God has a plan. All right, look over here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Here it comes. God's got a plan for the universe. Second heaven. Verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now, you see that thing? Look at that thing wax right there. See that little punctuation mark right there? With that semicolon? That semicolon? Colon, okay, some, that's a colon. Jimmy thought it was a semicolon too. It's a colon. For unto us a child is born, watch this, unto us a son is given, colon. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, colon. And his name shall be called Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end to the throne of David upon the king to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever the zeal Lord of the hope will perform death. Look at that, verse 6. Unto us a, a child is born, unto us a son is given. First coming of Christ. He came as a child. He came as a son. First coming. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. That takes place to the second coming. So we got the first coming, the second coming, and then the millennium, and then on into eternity. And his, and his name shall be Counselor, the Mighty God, the ever, 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 Everlasting, Eternal, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Look at verse 7. See, see that thing? Verse 6 is the first coming, the second coming, and the millennium. Now look at verse 7. 7, 7, 7, 7, 7. God said, evening and morning were the first day. Genesis. Eating and morning were the second day. Eating and morning were the third day. Eating and morning were the fourth day. Eating and morning were the fifth day. Evening and morning were the sixth day. When it got to the seventh day, he never said it was evening and the morning. You know why? Because it's God's eternal day and there's no night. It goes right into eternity. And that's just why it runs in six and then eternity happens to pop up in verse 7. You've got the first coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, the millennium in verse 6. Because man's going to be on this earth for 6,000 years, ladies and gentlemen, according to the Bible chart. And in the 7,000, that thing is going to run into eternity, and off you go. You know what's in eternity? The increase of his government and peace. Now, I don't understand all that. 
But I know this. I know that God's got a purpose and God's got a plan. And God's got a plan for the universe. And that plan has something to do with when this thing ends right here, that it goes out into eternity and God establishes the government. Now, I don't understand everything about that. I really don't. And I'm not here to try to lay it all out for you today. I'm just telling you, you need to understand. God has a purpose. There's something that was going on back here. God decided to put a parenthesis in it, to put time here, and then put it here, and then pick it up here, and go back out here with it. And it has to do something with the first coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, the millennium, and then His government in eternity increasing forever. All right? God has a plan for the universe. Second plan. God has a plan for this earth. God has a plan for the earth. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. Pick it up in verse 18. See, they're separate, but they're connected because God has a plan, God has a plan for the heavens. God has a plan for the earth. The earth is in the heavens. They're connected. In fact, the earth is right here. Right on our timeline. That's the earth. Isaiah 45, 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens... See that thing? Plural. You know why it's plural? Because there's three of them. First heaven, second heaven, third heaven. You might know there'd be three. Paul says in the book of Corinthians, he was caught up to the third heaven. Now don't let that scare you. Don't run out of here and say, oh, when I die, which heaven am I going to? Don't get nervous about it. It's not talking about that. Heaven is an expanse. The first heaven is our atmosphere. Second heaven is outer space. Third heaven is where God is. That's where Paul was caught up to in the book of Corinthians when he talked about being caught up to the third heaven. It's not a big deal. Nothing scary. It's simple. He says, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God Himself that formed the earth, God formed it. Why? And made it. He hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. He got a plan. I am the Lord, there is none else. Besides me, there is none else. And he's got a plan. Look at verse 11 in the same chapter. Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and His Maker, ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. He says, ask Him. He says, ask me about things to come. Verse 12, I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens, three of them, and all the host have I commanded. Then God's got a plan. God has a plan for earth. God had a purpose when, he, when he, he blocked off eternity past and He blocked off eternity future and He put earth here and He put time here which runs the course of 6,000 years according to man's history. And God put the earth down here for a purpose and for a reason. You know what that reason is? The redemption of man. The redemption of man. You see, God's got a plan, and He wants you and I in that plan of eternity. He wants you and me to be part of that government that is going to never stop and going to increase when it picks up here. And God's original purpose was to have a, a universal government that went all out through eternity, that was filled with men and women that loved Him and wanted to fellowship and be with Him. That was God's plan. But you know what? God is a righteous God. God is a holy God. And God, even though He loves us, God cannot just love without hating. 
If you have somebody who just loves without hating, you've got somebody that's perverted. If you love your wife and you love your kids, then you're going to hate what the world does to them. And if you love God, then you're going to hate the things that God doesn't like that are against God. And God is the only one, and the Bible says, who not only loves perfectly, but He, lo- he hates with a perfect hatred, according to the book of Psalms. You know what loving with a perfect love and hating with a perfect hatred means? It means that God's not emotionally involved. There's no ulterior motive. It's just based on an absolute truth or an absolute standard. And that's God. But because God is righteous and part God is holy. And you see, the key to... And people walk around saying, well, God is love, God is love. Hey, the key to God's love is understanding God's holiness. And when you understand God's holiness... You know that the love of God is rooted in His holiness. And when you understand that concept, you understand that then all of God's love is wrapped up in His Son. And that's where God's love is. And God loves you and me as sinners, not because God loves, but because God loved through His Son and created His Son. And that's why He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He loves through Christ. You know there's people in your life that are going to hurt you, that you don't like, that maybe you can't despise, but they're a brother and sister in Christ. You know you still got to love them. How do you love them? Through Christ. Same system. God didn't give you a different system than He follows Himself. He's the model for every system we follow. So God has a plan for the universe. No question about that. But God has a plan for this earth. And God's original plan was that God's government was going to fill eternity and God wanted men and women there with Him, but God, because He's holy, is not going to force you to go. You know, what you, you know why God inhabited the earth? You know why God established the earth in its most simple form? Because for 6,000 years down through here, God's dealing with man. Oh, He may deal with him a little differently, but He's dealing with him. You know what you really got by the time you get from here to here? To make a long story short, you know what you got? In the Bible, you got what is called the family of God. The family of God is made up of seven distinct parts of that family. It's sometimes called the household of God over there in John chapter 14. But in Ephesians chapter 3, it's like into God's family. And in that family, that, that family of God, you'll find that there are seven distinct parts of that family, and they make up the time from Genesis all the way through the man down here on this earth. And you know what God is doing? God has given them the option. God, is, who at sundry times and diverse manners, He comes down and He deals with man, and He basically says this, put all the sermons aside, put all the theology aside, this is what God said in His basic form. This is what every preacher ought to be translating to every man and woman that he talks to, and you as a Christian, that's why you need to understand this, that it flows through your reasoning. When I get up and preach, when I teach Bible study, whatever I go, wherever I do, whatever I say, no matter what I'm saying, here's what I'm really saying. Hey, you know what? God's got a plan for eternity. God's got a plan for the earth. And you know what? God allowed you to be born. He puts you down here because God wants you to go to heaven with Him. But God is not going to force you to love Him. God wants you to choose to love Him. So God is going to do everything in the world 
to, to, to help you love Him. God is going to, the Holy Spirit of God is going to come and touch your heart. He's going to, He's going to move you. He's going to, He's going to show you. But God can't just make you. He can't, and if there wasn't, and that's why the Bible says in the book of Job that the devil was created for a purpose. If there was no purpose, if there was no devil, then there would be nothing to contrast to God's love. Barb and I were driving over here this morning, coming down, uh, coming down, uh, Nolan Road, and uh, I mean, straight line highway, but the, right up here the road was going to turn, and there was a creek down here, and it was a pickup truck upside down in that thing up there where the guy ran off the road. <clears throat> now, it didn't rain last night, and there wasn't any snow, and there wasn't any ice. That guy was liberated. And he was driving down that road, and the road turned, he thought he went straight. And he's down the ditch. Now, that's a contrast. I drove by him, I said to Barb, that man was drunk and hit that ditch. And I bet he ripped the stitch when he hit the ditch. But he's moving on. He was down in that ditch. And I'm telling you, that was a contract. He was on his way, drunk, hit the ditch. I'm on my way to church. You see, there's a contrast. Everything in life, there's black and white. The Bible says darkness and light. Good and evil. There's a contrast. You know why? So you don't have to question about you what is right and what is wrong. You know. If that man was sitting here this morning, or I guess it was a man, could have been a woman, they were sitting here this morning hearing me preach, they would know that they would have been better off last night if they went home early and got ready to go to church this morning and stayed out getting drunk because the alternative was the ditch. God always gives you alternatives. And you're going to find in the Old Testament, God is dealing with the redemption of man. You're going to find, for the nation of Israel, that's one kingdom. You're going to find in the New Testament, He's dealing with redemption of man. In the church, that's the other kingdom. Already talked about it. But God is righteous. He will not force a man to be part of His plan. So He sets up this whole thing. He comes down and dies to make a way for you and for me to be part of this grand plan. Goes back to heaven. Gives you the Bible. Establishes the church. Sends out missionaries. Sends out preachers. Born, make you born into a spiritual kingdom. And, and it, to, for you to understand that God wants you to spend eternity. Do you really think that this is all that it is? You really believe that your little job, going to work or going to school, coming back, you really believe that's just all there is in life? That you grow up and you have kids and you try to make money and everything defeats you in life and you want to have a nice life and your car blows up and this happens and your wife leaves you or you have kid get this or kid get that and it just, it's a constant struggle and a struggle and a struggle and it just seems like it never ends? Is that all there is in this life? I don't think so. But you gotta get the right glasses on. You've got to step back and see this thing as it is, not as you've been taught. God has a plan for the universe. And God has a plan for the earth. And on that earth, for 6,000 years, a son was given. And a, and a government is going to be established. And on the increase of that government, there's going to be no end. And from here to here, you know what you got? Every man and woman on this planet got to make their choice to go or not. In fact, from here, when you get to here, you know what you got? You got not only men and women on earth have made the choice, everything God created made the choice. Back here, the angels made a choice. Back here, the cherubims made a choice. Back here, the seraphim made a choice. 
Back here, the archangels made a choice. By the time you get from here to here, and it starts over again, God not only gave man who He created on earth to be inhabited the choice, He gave every spiritual being in this world, and He said, look, I'm going to establish my government. It's going to be peaceful. It's going to be wonderful. I gave you a little taste of it with Adam and Eve, what it's going to be like. It's going to be the greatest, grandest time in your life. But you got to choose. you got to choose. It's your choice to be part of God's plan. Alright? God's got a plan for the universe. God's got a plan for the earth. Third one. God has a plan for your life. You see how they're all connected? you got the universe. you got the earth in it. And then you got you and you're on this earth. In this universe. It's all connected. Yet it's separate. It's all laid out. God has a plan for you. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be yet transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, as a Christian, you got something to prove. You know what it is? It's God's perfect plan in your life. That's what we're here for. We're not here for you to do what you want to do after you're saved. You're here to do what God wants you to do. You and I are part of God's plan to establish a spiritual kingdom. In fact, we are in the New Testament what Israel was in the Old Testament. We're the counterpart. And our job is to proclaim to men and women, Hey, you want to go? It'll be a great time. God has a plan. I cannot conceive that God's people are so limited in their ability to think, and preachers so limited in their ability to teach, that they just, I mean, they got every sermon in the world from here to here about everything in the world, usually their own agenda, but when it comes to this one and this one and how it all fits together, they ain't got a clue. Now, if you ever wondered for a moment what's happened to Bible Christianity, and you've ever wondered for a moment what happened to churches and preachers and Christians, it's very clear. No purpose why they're here. They go to church like my dog wants to go out in the morning. They go to church because at 2 o'clock, and my dog don't have watches. And they can't read the clocks. But I'm telling you, 2 o'clock every afternoon, they want to go out and eat. When I get up in the morning, they're smart. Barb gets up. She's walking around. I'll get up half hour later. They will make a peep when they hear Barb walking around, doing the things. When I get up, as soon as my foot hits the floor, they're barking. They know it's Monday. They know it's Tuesday. They know it's Wednesday. They know it's Thursday. They know it's Friday, Saturday. They don't make a peep. You know why? They know nobody's getting up. Now you figure that one out. But at 2 o'clock, they want to eat. In the morning, they want to eat. They're conditioned. They're trained. They don't sit down there and say, well, what do you think, Tinker? Is it time to eat? And she says, well, I can't see the clock. Let me get out there. Yeah, we eat at 8.30. It's about time. Let's get ready. You get the ball. You get the racket. Let's go. We're going to play out run, you know, the plan. We're going to run. They don't do that. They just are conditioned. They know when they wake up, they eat. They know in the afternoon, they nap. And when they wake up after nap, eat. 
And they know at nighttime, they go out for the last time, I would give them little treats. You know what? I don't have to say, come on guys, let's get some treats. I take them out, I wide around, they do the little deals. One of them does a big deal. I do those, watch those things for a few minutes. I say, all right guys, let's go, go to bed. Boom, I walk in there, you know where they are? They're all three standing, like this, underneath the cabinet that's got the cookies in them. Saying, we're conditioned. Give me the cookies. We're conditioned. I, I, you know, I, it's like that commercial you've seen years ago where they had that thing and they had that big old goofy dog like he could talk. And he says, I get chunky, meaty things. A big old chop dog, you know, I get chunky, meaty things. It says it has a meaty thing, it has a tasty thing, and it has a, a hard thing. I wonder how many things that is. That's my dogs. They don't reason. They're conditioned. They don't know if it's a... It, I, there's different colors. I've never... Now, my kids... No, Daddy, I want a red one. No, Daddy, I don't like green. No, Daddy, I, I, I don't... I, not them. Tinker doesn't say, Could I have a brown one? <laughs> Buddy doesn't say, I want the big one. <laughs> no. It's, boom, boom, boom. I don't even feed them anymore. I throw them up and catch them. Man, I lost too many fingernails doing it the other way. You know why? They've been conditioned. And I'm telling you, it's the way God's people are. You've been conditioned to go to church. You've been conditioned. You're supposed to go, so you go. Because the preacher's going to come knocking on your door and it's easy for you just to grab up and drag your dead carcass out and have to explain to him why you didn't go. Yeah, you go. You don't know what your purpose is. Because there's some spiritual good out of it, something will happen, you know, and maybe it'll just keep your car from getting a flat tire on your way to work tomorrow, or maybe God will find some good graces because you took the extra effort to come, but there's no real purpose in it. We're conditioned, just like the dogs. And that's what's wrong with God's people. They have no purpose, and the preachers are worse than them. They have no purpose in their preaching. They have their own personal agendas, but they don't understand what this is. When I preach to you, I don't care when it is. When I work with you one-on-one, -on -one, I don't care when it is. When I teach you on Thursday night, I don't care when it is. This is always in my mind. And your Christian life will be absolutely meaningless if you don't understand what's going on. And you'll have no purpose. The purpose of churches today is to see who can build the biggest and the better. And brother, we're praying today. We are praying today. Not that God would reveal the plan of us and teach us the Bible. But oh, brethren, pray. We have to make a decision. Should it be a Starbucks or a McDonald's we put into our church? How big should the restaurant be? Oh, yeah. Um, do you think God gives a flip about that today? We've lost our purpose. You know what? One time, and I was just a little guy. You ever notice how a lot of things happened to me when I was a little guy? I was just big enough, and I always wanted to help my mom. My mom said, my mom was cooking. She says, well, I'm, I'm, I need a quart of milk. And I said, Mom, I'll go get the quart of milk for you. She says, would you? And now back then, you had mom and pop stores on every street corner. So it was just one block down, one block back. So mom got in her purse, you know, and she gave me, I remember she gave me like 75 cents, 50 cents. Milk was cheap back then. And she said, no, go get my milk. And I said, okay. So I went down to the store. And when I get into that store, I, I don't know what happened to me. When I get into that store, I walk by the candy counter. And I saw that. And I saw this. And I saw, oh, and I love those. Oh, and, you know, and, and, I, and, I, and I just lost all reality. And I bought, I bought candy instead. 
<laughs> and I'll tell you what, on the way home, I was the happiest kid in the world. <laughs> Do you know how much 50 cents bought in candy back then? A bottle of pop was 10 cents. Hostess Twinkies, the love of my life. That's, that's how you know I'm always on a level. I got the bubble in the middle. But anyway, but Hostess Twinkies, <laughs> they, were, they were like six cents for two. Oh, I had a little, I, I had a sack. And I'm walking down there, and I walk in the house, and a suddenly, and I don't know what happened to me, but suddenly I realized there ain't no milk in this sack. And I, I'll never forget. My mom didn't whip me. She didn't, she didn't get angry. But you know what? I'll never forget the look on her face and the disappointment on her face because she sent me to go get something that she needed and I took what she gave me to get what I needed. You know, that's what the judgment seat of Christ is going to be. God saved you and told you this is what he needs. He gave you everything you need to get for him what he needs. And we just, he gave you a job. You think your job is for your career enhancement? Though I believe you should have career enhancements. Do you believe that you, I believe that you're, do you believe that, that, you know, that that's really what God gave you the job for? Your job, along with your abilities and your talents, you think God gave you the ability to do what you do so you could do with it what you wanted to do with it? See, as a little kid, that's the... And the thing that bothered me more than anything in the world was the disappointment on my mom's face when she sent me to get something that she needed and I got what I needed and she couldn't do what she needed to do because I failed her. And that's why I wish she would have whipped me. Don't you know the judgment seat of Christ is going to be just like that? When you understand... Fully and realize, how come you're not laughing now? Boy, do I have a way of making my points or do I have a way of making my points? I'm telling you. You're going to realize that God gave you everything, every job, every dime you got. Your job is to support you as the shout of God that you are to do the work of God, to portray that gospel, because God has put us on this earth in this time to do for Him what He wants for us to do. And everything we've got, He's given for you to live on and support yourself. And yes, do nice things, have things, take care of your wife, buy your kids what they want. I'm not saying that. You just don't forget the purpose. And everything in this world is here to distract you from that mission. The plan of God in your life on this earth, in this eternity, that God is going to establish His kingdom and you are a part of it. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 9, there's five crowns you can get as a child of God. You know what one of them is? It's an incorruptible crown. You know what the incorruptible crown is for? It's for you... Understanding this, not getting so caught up in the world that you lose your purpose. We're not to live like kings down here. We are to suffer for the plan of God. Understanding that we're accountable. 
A reasonable service is to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God that in the ages to come, not here, It's now that we're to understand. And God says, do some nice things. Go on vacation. Buy your kids. Take care of your wife. Have fun. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, don't get so comfortable that you lose sight of this. Or you're in trouble. And that's what's wrong with God's people. They live their lives every day. They go to church like my dogs want the biscuits. Conditioned with no purpose. They don't understand God's plan for the universe. They don't understand God's plan for the earth. And they don't understand God's plan for their lives. I'll tell you what. There isn't nothing, nothing, nothing in this world that can take the edge off of what God's going to do out in eternity. You name me, when you understand it, you name me one thing that can compare... Like Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 17 and 18, he says, We are the children of God, and of children that heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Oh, brother, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us in the ages to come. And my friend, that's my only reason for being a pastor. My only reason for existence once I got saved was to understand. You know, Paul... In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I told you that he's caught up to the third heaven. And when you study his life, and you see that he was caught up to the third heaven, and he saw the things of God, he heard things that no other man heard, he saw things that no other man saw, and he came back, and his life is changed, and never again did he ever live his life without purpose. He has desire, he understood God's three plans, and where he was, and what it was going to be, and where it came from. And he lived his life like he didn't care about anything on life on this earth. I had a man preach one time, and he said, after he preached a good message on that same thing, he says, I wish I could have that. I thought to myself, well, you just blew your message, fool. You can because it's all in there what Paul saw. There isn't one thing Paul didn't see that isn't in this book. And you can have exactly the mission and the burden and the fire and the purpose that Paul had if you just get the book that lays it out and get in it. And that's why I'm going to teach it to you. That's why I said nicely, you need to get a disciplined structure in your life of coming through the Bible together at this opportune time that we don't have to stand there as a church, as a pastor, as individuals at the Jebus of Christ and be not ashamed because we not was a workman rightly dividing the word of truth, finding out God's three plans and how they connect, how they're different, and where I fit into what God's doing. Every head bowed, every eye closed.